thing about forgetting things. You guys, let's just give a praise because it was one year ago at this meeting. Now, if you remember, uh, a year ago, this past September, is when I had that surgery to just remove the plaque from that artery. And during the surgery, I had a stroke and lost all use of my right arm, partially my right leg, total memory loss. Didn't know my family, didn't know one scripture, couldn't remember one sermon. The only word I could say was, yes. Whatever they asked me, Yes. And uh, when they finally released me to go home, I knew once I got home in my own environment that my healing would come quickly. And Lindsay, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, sent over to me Brother Oral Roberts, a pair of Oral Roberts shoes. And I wore them. And believing that that same anointing was still stored up in them, praise God. And in a matter of just... I mean, a short time after I got home, they were wanting to send me to, you know, to, they called it a, a, a boot camp, you know, and wanted to put me in a, a chamber to rebuild the cells in my brain. And, and that would take months and so forth. But God delivered me. God healed me. Praise God. Got my right arm back. Got my memory back. Hallelujah. Amen. And within just a few short weeks, I was preaching. But my first service that I preached in was this conference last year. And then I left here and uh, went out and preached over to Brother Copeland's Eagle Mountain Church. And then from there, went out and did several meetings. And then shortly after that, I was traveling all over the world, preaching morning and evening, praise God. And I hadn't let up since. So God is good. Amen. God is faithful. Make somebody smile real big and say, my God is faithful. (laughs) Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated for a moment. Well, this is my first time to get to share with you. Carolyn took my service. uh, And I think she might be taking Richard's service later this morning. And that is, if I get through, praise God. Amen. We are so thrilled that you're here. And uh, this is a great response. We, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to, to come and receive from the Lord. And uh, we're just so appreciative of each and every one of you. And, and thank God for the divine connection that we have. We don't get to see all of you a lot. But nevertheless, we pray for you. And uh, our, our, our love is, is extended to you, praise God. And we're just so honored that you're a part of this ministerial organization. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establish us, or established, with you in Christ 
and hath anointed us is God. Underline or highlight that last part of that verse. Hath anointed us. Who hath anointed us? God. Say it with me. God has anointed us. Say God has anointed me. Say God's anointing is on my life. And it's on my ministry. Amen. Let that sink in. God's anointing is on your life. It's on your ministry. It is God who hath anointed you. Not grandma, not uncle Jack. It's God that hath anointed you. Now go with me to first John chapter two, first John chapter two and verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. The anointing which you have received of him. Who's him? God. We just read that in first or second Corinthians. It's God who has anointed us and it abides in you. Praise God. You have this treasure in an earthen vessel and it's called the anointing. Praise God. What a, what a great thought. Just walk around thinking about that all day long for a few days. In this earthen vessel is a treasure and it's the anointing of God. And it's the same anointing that Jesus operated in. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, you all know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So what is this anointing for? It's to bring about healing and deliverance. It's not to build a ministry on, even though, praise God, it should be operative in our ministries. It's not to brag about. It's not to make us look great. It's not to make us seem more holier than somebody else. It's all about bringing healing and deliverance to mankind. Can you say amen? Amen. Say this with you. The anointing of God God that abides within me is for the healing and the deliverance of mankind. And I might have you to add this confession with it. And God trusts me with it. Now that's an awesome thought that God trusts you with it. Amen. I was telling Richard and Lindsay yesterday when we got back to our home and we just continued the meeting over there right up until time to come last night. And I, I said to them that many years ago, uh, of course, I heard the call of God watching Brother Roberts, Oral Roberts, on television in 1957 in my grandmother's home in Oklahoma City. And it wasn't until 1969 that I accepted that call. But immediately after accepting the call, uh, I wanted to know more about Oral Roberts' ministry. Up to that time, uh, I'd never heard of him. Uh, our family, I grew up in a, a home where we just went to the little country church down at the end of our street. And it's a Baptist church. And we never, they never talked about Oral Roberts there. The only evangelist that I thought existed was Billy Graham. Because that's who they talked about. Every year they'd have a, a special offering that went to Billy Graham's ministry. And, um, but that was the first time I'd ever heard of Oral Roberts. And then afterwards, because 
preaching was not what I wanted to do. God was fouling up my plans. And so I never told anybody about it. And I thought, if I never tell anybody about it, God will realize he made a mistake and he'll find somebody that really wants to do that. And so I never talked about it. I never discussed it, never shared it with a living soul, not even my parents. And, uh, but in 1969, when Brother Copeland came and preached at Life Tabernacle, I heard the word of faith. I heard the gospel like I'd never heard before. <clears throat> and I couldn't run anymore. And so February the 11th, 1969, 3 o'clock in the morning, I surrendered my life to the Lord and accepted the call to preach. And immediately, this desire to want to know more about Oral Roberts' ministry was birthed in me because I remembered that I heard the call watching him as a little boy. Now, I didn't know at that time that Kenneth Copeland had worked under Oral Roberts' ministry. And um, so later I learned that. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I heard the call watching Oral Roberts, and God used a man who worked for Oral Roberts to bring the message to me that changed my life. And uh, so anyway, I I began watching Oral Roberts on television. And uh, one day, I'll never forget, he he had just come out with that, that book, The Miracle of Seed Faith. Anybody remember that book? And uh, he offered it on his television broadcast. And he said, this is our new book, The Miracle of Seed Faith. And I want to send it to you free of charge. I hollered at Carolyn. Carolyn, here's one we can afford. (laughs) Get that address and write off for it. And so she wrote it down and sent, sent it in and asked for it. And we got it in the mail. And I began reading The Miracle of Seed Faith. It changed my life. In fact, I preached a a number of times, but I preached a sermon one time up north in a church in in the Boston area, and I entitled it The Greatest Spiritual Law I've Ever Learned, and it was the the law of seed time and harvest. And from that, uh, not not ever thinking that I would ever meet Oral Roberts, what what are the odds of, you know, meeting Oral Roberts? Uh, What are the odds of you know, I was about 10 years old, 11 years old when I heard the call, 11 years old. What are the odds of somebody watching him on TV as an 11-year-old boy ever actually meeting him? And so, you know, I, I had the desire. I, I hoped that someday I could just walk up to him and say, sir, thank you. I'm in the ministry today because I heard the call watching you. And, and that would have been sufficient. That would have been a a fulfilled desire, you know. But what's the likelihood of that happening? And so anyway, I began to get everything I could from his ministry, books and so forth. And uh, back then you couldn't, (laughs) we didn't have the cell phones and we didn't have, you know, all this great social media that we have today where you can just, you know, pick up your cell phone and go to, what is it, YouTube or whatever and watch all those sermons that's been downloaded. You couldn't do that back then. And they were hard to come by. And I remember I was in uh, uh, Lufkin, Texas. And uh, I was preaching in Lufkin. And this little woman came up. I, I won't call her elderly because she was my age back then. And uh, <laughs> what, I, what I am now. And uh, so anyway, this older woman uh, came up to me after the service. She said, Young man, I bet I have something you'd like to have. I said, well, what is that? She said, I have 
Oral Roberts tapes on reel to reel of some of his earliest crusades. I said, how far do you live from here? She said, just not too far. I said, I'll be waiting right here. You go home and get them and bring them to me. She went home and I'm standing out in front of the church and uh, she brought them back in a, in a large paper sack and they were reel to reel. And I asked the pastor, I said, does anybody in your church have the ability to transfer these reel to reel tapes to cassette? At least a couple of them. I want to listen to some of them tonight. And he said, yeah, well, I think we can get that done. And so it took, if the, if the message was an hour, it took an hour to, to transfer it to cassette. I stood there and waited. And the first one that they, this, this guy just reached in the bag and got one out and started uh, transferring it to cassette. And when he gave it to me, it happened to be the sermon that I heard Oral Roberts preach when I accepted the call to God. And it was his most famous tent sermon called The Fourth Man. The Fourth Man. And when I got that cassette and I went back to my room at the Holiday Inn, I turned that on. And I'm telling you, the anointing of God was still on it just as powerfully as it was the moment he preached it. And I got so excited, I couldn't, I couldn't stand still. I opened the door and I took off running around the swimming pool. And I came back and I got another dose. And then I took off running around the swimming pool. I'm doing this two o'clock in the morning. And lights are coming on here and this wild guy running around the swimming pool, hollering, praising God, you know. I couldn't go to bed that night listening to that, that tape. That anointing was so strong. Amen. And once again, even then, this was back in the 70s. I never dreamed I'd meet Paul Roberts. And, uh, but anyway, in 1981, I was preaching to Brother Copeland in Charlotte at the Believers Convention at the, at the old Coliseum there in Charlotte. And uh, I had preached all my services during the day, morning and afternoon. And Brother Copeland always closed the meeting out on Saturday night. And so we're all sitting there on the front row, you know, Carolyn, Gloria, myself, waiting for Brother Copeland to, to preach that night and close out the meeting. <clears throat> and he got up to preach and he, he just walked up there and he just stood there for a moment. He had his Bible open. He took his Bible and his notebook. And he said, Jerry, God wants you to close this meeting out. Get up here. Well, you know, I've worked with Brother Copeland long enough to know that, um, you know, if that's what he believed God wanted me to do, then who am I to question it? Even though I was blank, I didn't have a clue what I was going to preach. <laughs> I wish the Lord had given me some advance notice, you know, but I had learned working with Brother Copeland, stay on guard all the time, you know, be instant in season and out because <clears throat> he'd done that with me several times in the past. But I got up that night and I walked up and I didn't have a notebook, you know, because I wouldn't plan to preach. And I walked up with my Bible and he, he told his associate at that time, bring me a chair. And he set it about this close to the podium, <laughs> crossed his legs and looked at me with them piercing eyes as I came across the platform. And uh, he, he opened, he, he, he's waiting for me to tell us the people were to open our Bibles. I didn't have a clue where we were going to open our Bibles. And I just laid mine down and it fell open to the book of Daniel. And I started preaching the fourth man. That sermon was in me. 
And I preached it <clears throat> very close to how Oral Roberts preached it. And I'd even, I'd even hear him say, like I heard him say on the tape, who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is, neighbor. And I'd go through, you know, <laughs> Genesis and, and all the way through the book of Revelation. And the, the anointing of God hit that place. I'm telling you, we had miracles that night. Brother Copeland got so excited, he jumped up <clears throat> and he told Terry Pearsons, his, his daughter, she was his television uh, director at that time. And he pointed to Terry in the audience and said, Terry, I don't know what you got planned for our television broadcast. Whatever it is, cancel it. Get this message, Jerry, just preached on that broadcast as quickly as you possibly can. And so they did. And in just a matter of a few weeks, it came on Brother Copeland's Sunday broadcast. He wasn't on daily back then, just Sunday program. And so it came out. <clears throat> And they let me know when it was going to come out. So I was, I was watching for it. And what I didn't know was that Brother Roberts and Evelyn were watching it in their home. That was on Sunday. Monday morning, I get a call from Oral Roberts University from a lady by the name of Ruth Rooks. She said, I'm Oral Roberts' secretary. Brother Roberts told me to call you. He saw you preaching his sermon yesterday on television. And he wants you in his office today. I thought, dear God, they're going to sue me. But I, I told them at the beginning when I preached, I said, folks, I didn't know this was in me. This is the old Robert sermon. This is the sermon I heard when I, when I heard the call of God. And uh, so I flew up to Tulsa. They told me where to go and so forth. And, and uh, the first, when I first walked in the office there, I'm Met Ruth Rooks, who happened to be his only personal secretary all those years, you know. And uh, she was such a sweet lady. And she let Brother Roberts know that I was in her office. And he came out. And when he came out, I didn't realize how tall he was. He came out and he, he had his arms out like this. Come here, my brother. I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. I turned around to see who else came in the room. <clears throat> Are you talking to me? Yes. I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. He said, I heard that you heard the call of God watching me when you were a little boy. And I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. Come here. So I walked up there and he just grabbed me and pulled me into his chest and began to prophesy over me. And then he kind of pushed me back and he said, come in my office. I thought, okay, the law, lawyers are in here now. You know, he was just being nice, but now the attorneys are in here. They're going to sue me for plagiarism, you know? And, uh, I walked in I looked around. There was nobody there. And he said, have a seat. I sat down. He sat down next to me. He said, Evelyn and I watched you preach my sermon on the fourth man yesterday on Kenneth Copeland's broadcast. And I just wanted to tell you that I've never heard anyone preach it better in all my life than myself. <laughs> but you did a wonderful job. And I just, I just told him, it's time for me to meet this young man. And he laid his hands on me and he prayed. I believed I received an impartation right there. I actually believe I received an impartation even before I met him. Who you run with and who you associate with, what you listen to, 
has everything to do with, with what's going on in your life and ministry. <clears throat> but <clears throat> it was sealed that day. When he laid hands on me, I believed I received a, a, a portion of that anointing. Amen. And then from that time, it became my desire, strong desire, to flow in that anointing in a greater way. And I remember I came back home and I took his book on the story of his life and story of his ministry and how he went into the healing ministry and so forth. And uh, I, I went to Aldmore, Oklahoma, to Lake Murray Lodge, and they have some little cabins there. And I rented a cabin for a week. And I sat in that cabin day and night. Didn't get out for anything other than every once in a while I'd go get some groceries or something, have something to eat. And I read that book over and over and over and over with tears streaming down my face. And I'll never forget at the end of that week, I said, Lord, what must I do for you to trust me with that kind of anointing? And I'll never forget what he said. Son, you're not ready yet. I said, with tears in my, Lord, why am I not ready? He said, because, first of all, you want everybody to like you. You want everybody to think highly of you. You want everybody to respect your ministry. He said, they didn't respect orals. They didn't think highly of oral. Not everybody loved oral. And furthermore, they didn't all respect me. They didn't all love me. What makes you better than us? I thought, there is a price for the anointing. Amen. There is a price for the anointing. And, and I, I, you know, I knew the Lord was right. I mean, I didn't have to tell him he was right. I knew he was right because I was that, I was that kind of person. <clears throat> I wanted people to speak well of me. I wanted people to, to uh, respect my ministry, you know. So I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I, I, I left there um, somewhat sad, but at the same time determined to get to the place where I knew he could trust me with that kind of anointing. And uh, I remember at that time we had a church called Overcoming Faith Center. And uh, I started having healing services on Sunday nights. And so we would announce it that we were having healing services. And uh, people would come that were not only members of our church, but they'd come from other churches when they'd hear about it and so forth. And I remember this man coming in. uh, Actually, they carried him in. Four men carried this man in and set him down on the back row uh, on the the aisle, very close to the door. And I saw them when they brought him in. And uh, I'm preaching, you know, a healing message. And the Lord said, go lay hands on him. And I jumped up and I ran back to the back and I laid hands on him. Didn't didn't know what was going on in his life. Didn't know what was wrong with him. And I laid hands on him and prayed. In the natural, I didn't see anything change. And I asked him, what is wrong with you? 
And he said, and his wife did most of the speaking because he was so weak. He said, or she said, he has the same disease that killed Aristotle Onassis. It was a crippling disease. It, it caused the bones to become brittle. He could sit down and bones would crack. He had shrunk from about uh, almost six feet down to about five foot eight. And, and they had to carry him in. And I noticed they set him down on the, on the seat, you know, very tenderly. And uh, so they had not given him much time to live. And so uh, I laid hands on him again and, and just said, Lord, let the anointing flow into him. And still, I didn't see any change in the natural. I went back up to the platform and continued to preach and minister to other people. And uh, the next week, he came through the door on his own, walking in. No, I'm, I, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. The Lord said, when I went back to the platform and I started preaching in, he said, tell him you'll be at his house tomorrow. And tell him you're going to spoon feed him the word of God. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I found your words and I did eat them. The Bible says. And he said, you go over there and you, you act like you got a bowl of oatmeal. And you're dipping into it and spoon feeding him every scripture you can find on healing. And you do it until I tell you to stop. So I said, I'll be at your house tomorrow. And I found out where he lived. I went, he lived over in, in uh, Bedford. And I went over to his house. And they, they brought him in and set him on the sofa. And I stood, in, I sat in front of him. And I said, take this. And I just quote a scripture. Take this. Chew on that. And uh, I did that for several hours. And I went for three days. From Monday to Wednesday. And the Lord said, okay. So I came back. And, and then the next Sunday evening. He comes walking in the door on his own. Totally healed. Absolutely, totally healed. And he had been in the ministry. He had been in the ministry 30 years before this attack on his body had happened. So he wasn't able to preach anymore. He couldn't couldn't travel and, and nothing. And so he comes in and he's shouting, I'm healed, I'm healed. Brother Jerry, look, I'm healed. And uh, I started weeping. And the Lord said, and I sat down on the, on the platform and cried like a baby. He said, I can trust you now. That so ministered to me. I can trust you now. And then that night, the Lord said, you buy him a motorhome so he can travel. And we bought him a motorhome. And he traveled all over. Many churches I'd go to, they'd say, Brother Rutledge was here just before you and gave the great testimony of his healing. And he went to traveling and went to laying hands on people, getting them healed. And he did that for a number of years until he went on to be with the Lord. Praise God. But I'll never forget the Lord saying to me, I can trust you now. And he said, will you do exactly what I say regardless of what anybody says? Yes, sir. (laughs) He said, call up people that are having severe back pain. You remember this? Severe back pain. Tell them to come up here. There was about 10 people that came up. Some of them were leaned over. They were such pain. And he said, tell them to lay down flat on the floor, face down. Boy, it took a while for some of them to get down there. 
He said, take off your shoes and run across their back. I said, Lord, couldn't we just lay hands on them? This is working pretty good. He said, I thought you said you wanted to increase in the anointing. He said, what are you concerned about? About it not working? You don't have to be concerned about my reputation, son. He said, what are you concerned about? Well, you can't lie to God. <laughs> what would they think of me when I, what, what would they think of me when I run across their mouth? God, do you remember? They have back trouble. Now, nobody knows this conversation going on just between me and God. You know, they're all out there. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Hallelujah. <laughs> they don't have a clue what's going on on the inside. I took my shoes off and I took off running across their backs and every one of them jumped up screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Amen. But you know, that was a one-time thing. I've never done that again. Thank God. <laughs> but then I left there and I had rented the auditorium in Riverside, California for a, a meeting, three-day meeting. And the opening night, uh, the Lord had me to call up people that needed healing. And there was a man standing in front of me and he was blind. And uh, I got ready to lay hands on him. The Lord said, don't do that. I said, why not? This, just spirit to spirit. I said, why not? I had my hands out like this, almost on his head. He said, don't do that. I said, why not? He said, I want you to spit on your finger and put it in his eye. Now, once again, nobody knows what's going on between me and God. I said, Lord, you just saw people get healed just laying hands on them. Yes, they did. But I want you to spit on your finger and put it in his eye. I was so glad the guy was blind. <laughs> and he couldn't see what I was about to do. <laughs> and and my, my associates, they're all standing behind these people, you know, ready to catch them if they fall and so forth. And they're just looking at me. They don't have a clue what's going on. I'm just standing there like this, almost frozen, you know. And finally, I agreed to do what God said. <clears throat> My mouth got so dry. I couldn't work up a spit. (laughs) And they don't know what's going on. And And finally, I took my my hand like this and I spit on my finger. And some of my team, they went, ooh. And once again, I'm so glad that guy was blind at the time. And you have to work fast because, you know, you're about to lose it here. And so, and I put it in his eye and said, I command you to be healed. The guy screamed, I can see, I can see. And there was a guy way up in the bleachers on the top. And I pointed him out and I said, stand up, sir. He stood up and I said, sir, to the, to the man who was blind, describe his tie. And he described the color, detail, everything. He saw things in that tie I couldn't even see. I thought, praise God. 
man, I'm going to spit in the bag and carry this around with me everywhere I go. But he never had me to do that again. Until this morning. No. <laughs> he never had me to do that again. What he was looking for was obedience. I mean, Jesus did that one time. Made a spittle of clay and put it in the blind man's eye. There, there are obviously uh, different, ad, uh, ad, uh, how does it say, different uh, ways to, to release the anointing and so forth. Point of contact, as Brother Roberts would call it. But the, the primary thing is, is willingness to obey, regardless of what anybody thinks, what anybody says. Amen. They will question your motives. They'll question your methods. But if you know it's God, and you truly want that person delivered and set free. I remember reading in Brother Roberts' book, you got to get to the place where you hate the works of the devil as much as you love God. Amen. You hate to see what Satan does to human beings with the same passion you love for God, or your, that your love for God is. And so, notice here he says that we have this anointing. It's already in us. You don't have to ask for it anymore. I thought you'd be thrilled about that. I want you to lift your hand and say, thank God for the anointing. Say, thank God for the anointing. I have in this earthen vessel, this treasure, it's the anointing of God. And it's to be used to bless humanity and to set them free. Can you say amen? Let's thank God for the anointing. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If we fail to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then what good is the anointing? What purpose is the anointing? If we fail to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, if we fail to flow in the anointing, then we also fail in our assignment from God. Just like the early church, we need the anointing to flow through us so that we can have maximum effectiveness in our mission for him. Amen. I want to look at a few scriptures here this morning at different people in the Bible and how uh, the anointing uh, operated in their lives, how the anointing came and so forth. Second Kings chapter three. Would you turn there with me for a moment? Second Kings chapter three. And while you're turning there, I'd like to make this statement to you. You know when the anointing is there. And you know when it's not. Amen. You know when the anointing is there and you know when it's not. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't base what I do on my feelings. But I, I know the Bible says Jesus perceived that virtue had left him. And you can perceive that virtue or power is in you and leaving you or being administered to someone else without a feeling. You just know in your spirit. You have this inward witness. And I know, I know when there are times that 
The anointing is present on me and I know when it's not. I um, have gone into services with the anointing all over me in that hotel room and get to that service and they sing it off. (laughs) I remember, and you were in those meetings in Toronto back there years ago. And Pastor Bud Williams, precious man of God, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. And I went up there. I'd never met Pastor Bud before. I went up there for one night. And on the way up there, the Lord said, will you stay as long as I ask? I said, well, Lord, I'd love to, but I have, I have to be in Riverside tomorrow night and somewhere else in California the next night. He said, will you stay as long as I ask? I thought he didn't hear me. I said, Lord, I have to be in Riverside tomorrow night and I have to be in another place in California the next night. He said, will you stay as long as I want? I said, yes, sir, I will. Would you arrange with those pastors? Because pastors don't like for you calling them the day before the service, telling them, "Uh, by the way, I can't come. The Lord wants me to stay in Toronto. So I said, would you arrange it with those pastors? He said, I'll take care of it. Both of those pastors called me and said, Brother Jerry, we, we've been praying and we felt like the Lord wanted you to stay where you're at right now. And we release you. That happened when I got to the hotel room. And so when I got to the service that night, my first time to meet Bud Williams, the, he took me into his office. And the first thing he said was, Brother Jerry, would you be willing to stay as long as the Lord tells you? I said, well, sir, he asked me that on the way up here, and I've already arranged that. So I'll be here as long as the Lord says. So I was scheduled for one night. And I said, well, pastor, how do we want to do this? He said, well, let's just go in and have the service. And if you sense the direction of the Lord, then we'll announce we're going another night. And so we went in there with that agreement that if I sense the direction of the Lord, we'll stay another night. Well, brother, we had, a, we had a Holy Ghost meeting. And he announced to the church, we're going another night. I wound up staying 21 nights. 21 nights. No two services were alike. It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, I'd get, I'd get locked away in my room. And eventually, Joe came up and stayed with me. Eventually... Carolyn and, and the girls came up and uh, uh, eventually we were recording the services and sending them back to our office so all our staff could see it. And uh, it was such a powerful meeting. And the, after 21 days, the Lord said, go home and rest and then come back. So I went home for a week and I came back and stayed another 14 nights. He said, go home and rest. I went home and rested and he said, go back. And I went back and stayed another nine nights. No two services were alike. Now, here was the key. I really believe this was the key. Brother Bud and I agreed that everything was subject to change. If we didn't get to sing, we didn't get to sing. If we didn't take up an offering, we didn't take up an offering. If I I don't get to preach, I don't preach. Everything was to be directed by the Holy Spirit. And everything we had planned was subject to change. Now, you know, a lot of churches can't flow with that. 
Because, you know, somebody that's supposed to do a special that night will get upset they didn't get to do their special. <clears throat> and some places, you know, because when you have a guest speaker, a lot of the people that come, they don't go to that church. They came to hear that speaker. And so many times the pastor, not every time, thank God, but many times I've found that the pastor wants to showcase his church to all these new people. So he's not willing to flow. And so we had, I mean, it was just an amazing meeting. Holy Spirit meeting. The anointing of God was so strong. So, so many miracles that took place in that meeting. Some of which I'm still hearing about him hearing about when I go back up to your church. Amen. And he was just a young man in those days when that uh, was going on. I think you worked in the youth department, didn't you? And uh, so, and now we're going to his church and the same thing's happening up there every time we go, praise God. Hallelujah. And every time I go, we just go, we just extend the meeting a little longer, praise God. Amen. But he's the kind that everything's subject to change. Amen. Amen. Now, I left there and went to another church. They heard about what happened. Would you come here and do the same thing? I said, well, I can't promise it'll happen here. Well, would you just pray and see? And I, I came to that church, and I thought, dear God, there is no way we can have a move of God in this church. This is the deadest church I've ever been in my life. <laughs> but the pastor wanted a move of God. He was so hungry for a move of God. And when I got through that night, it was, like, it was like preaching that wall. Everything I said hit that wall and came back, hit me in the face. People just sat there, you know, and I thought, dear God, I'm out of here. I am not going to stay another night in this place. And so he said, go to my office, Brother Jerry, and uh, you pray and ask the Lord if we go to another night. And I was in there and I was, I was trying to work up my speech that I wanted to give to him. And, and I was going to say, you know, Pastor, you do need a move of God. There, there is no doubt. You do need a move of God. But I am not the man to bring it. That was what I'd prepared to say to him. And he, I heard him running down the hall. And he opened the door and he said, Do we go another night? I said, Yes, sir. We're having revival. He took off and I said, You fool. You fool. You were, you were out of here. Why did you say that? And the Lord said, I had you to say that. I said, why, Lord? He said, tomorrow night you come into this this meeting and I want to teach you the law of combustion. He said, you find a spark in that church and preach to that spark. And the flames will begin to flow. They'll begin to spread. Well, I thought, well, the only spark in that church was the pastor. I walked up to the podium and when he turned it to me and I turned my back on the audience and I preached to the pastor who was sitting on the platform. I preached to him and watched the sparks begin to fly. And we wound up staying 10 nights there, praise God, and had a wonderful, wonderful move of God. Amen. But, you know, people want that. And yet sometimes we're not willing to do what it takes to create the atmosphere for it. Amen. Amen. 
So it's important that the atmosphere is right. That's the reason Richard said yesterday that a lot of times his dad would take him to do the music before he preached because some of the music prior to preaching would just run the anointing off. I said in a meeting one night, I'm telling you, they sang and they sang and they sang. And I thought, dear God, how much longer are they going to sing? And finally they said they had one more uh, special and it was a lady to play the violin. That woman could not play the violin. I had to get up and walk out of the building. It was so irritating. And then they want to move a God after that. Dear God, I want to move out of the building. You know, take your liberty, brother Jerry. Let's have a move of God. Are you kidding? I preached on Jesus, wept and dismissed. Hallelujah. (laughs) I said, and Jesus wept and I'm doing likewise. Hallelujah. Dear God, why would they bring that woman in there? They couldn't play the violin. Right before you preach. I think that guy had BBs for brains. (laughs) Look at 2 Kings chapter 3. (laughs) Hallelujah. Here's a story about these three kings that are assembled for war. And they asked Elijah for help. And in verse 14, it says, And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass, when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now the hand of the Lord is symbolic of the anointing. Notice as the minstrel played, the anointing came on the prophet. So music has a lot to do with creating the proper atmosphere. Amen. I remember years ago, uh, a young man who worked for me in the early days of my ministry, his name was Russ Taff. And, and Russ, the first time I heard Russ, he was just a young man. Of course, I was a young man as well. I was a little older than Russ. And uh, the Arkansas Tech University asked me to come and do this Jesus Festival on the campus. And so I was the speaker, and they, they used the, the university auditorium, packed out with people, students from that university. And uh, they had told me that this young man was going to sing before I spoke. And when they introduced him, it was Russ Taff. Now, I'm standing behind a curtain. I hadn't seen him yet. I'm standing behind a curtain, just praying in the Spirit, waiting for them to introduce me. And when Russ started singing, dear Lord, I'd never heard a voice quite like that before. I walked around and pulled the curtain back and looked to see who that was coming out of. And this young man was singing, and I'm telling you, the anointing of God was so strong in that place. 
And when I walked out there and, and began to preach, man, I'm telling you, the anointing was so strong. And then I, I got to meet him, you know, and uh, uh, I came home. And they asked me to come back to Arkansas to do a meeting in Hot Springs on a ranch. And uh, this, this family had this ranch and uh, they had a, a, a ministry as well. And they asked me to come and do uh, a few days services at that ranch. And I didn't know at the time that Russ lived with these people. Hetty Lou Brooks was her name. And uh, she, he lived with them. And he, he sang in their services and so forth. And when I saw him, I thought, that's the guy I met in, in Arkansas and at that rally. So he did the singing, him and some of the other guys that lived there. They did the singing every night. They, they prepared the service every night with the anointing of God. It was just like this. It's like the hand of the Lord came on me. By the time he would get through, they turned it to me, and it's just the anointing would flow. And so eventually, well, I did this a couple of times, went up there a couple of times, and I asked him, I said, Russ, what are your plans? What do you, what do you got in your heart to do? He said, well, I'm trying to put this little singing group together and uh, we want to go and travel and sing. I said, okay, well, if you ever, ever decide that you'd like to come to work in my ministry, I would love to have you in this ministry. I just, I, there's a, a divine connection here, a good flow. And so uh, I just planted that seed in his heart and uh, he, I went on, did my meetings and he went on and did whatever uh, God opened up for him. And he was down in Waco with this little singing group. I think they were called the Sounds of Joy or something like that. And uh, he called me and he said, Brother Jerry, is the offer still good? I said, well, yeah. He said, uh, I'm tired of eating at McDonald's. I'm tired of sleeping at the Y. He said, we're, we're just out here existing. And uh, the church doesn't take care of us. You know, he said, I, I can't live this way anymore. He said, if the offer's still good, I'd like to come to work with you. Well, I was leaving for uh, a series of meetings in the Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, and so forth. And I was going to be gone about three weeks. And I said, how soon can you get here? He said, how soon do you need me? I said, we're leaving in the morning. He said, I'll get there tonight. And so Russ and I took off. And now I'm telling you, every service that Russ led, it was just a, it was just a flow. It was just, it, you know, you knew when he got through, the anointing was present. Amen. I've worked with few people that it was that way. And uh, it, it was such a, a wonderful connection. And then sometime later, a year and a half or so later, I got a call from Armin from uh, the Imperials. And they needed a lead singer. And uh, he said, would you loan me Russ just until we can get another lead singer? I said, uh, uh, yes. I said, Russ uh, has talked about that he'd, he'd love someday to be with a, a group like that, an amazing group like that. And uh, I said, I'll loan him to you. So I told Russ, and he was real thrilled. And uh, I said, go do this. You're going to be out for about uh, six weeks. And then you come back, and we'll pray about what we do from there. Well, I saw how 
you know, uh, he was in his dream, you know, and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to destroy that. I said, I'll release you to go be with the Imperials. And of course, he became a famous recording artist and took the Imperials to another level. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. And every once in a while, my daughters will surprise me and Russell show up here and I don't know that he's coming and I'll be back there in the speaker's room praying and I hear this voice. And I think that is Russ Tath. There's not another voice quite like that. He'll show up every once in a while in some meetings I'm in. In fact, I was out fishing in Alaska. I'm out in the ocean fishing and I get a call on my cell phone and I see it's Russ. I say, hello, Russ. He says, hey, Dad, I'm here at the Dove Awards, and they just gave me a Lifetime Achievement Award, and I couldn't help but think about you. Thank you, Dad, for all that you imparted in my life. Uh, Wasn't that a wonderful gesture? Praise God. Amen. And so there is a vital place for anointed singing, anointed music. So much of the music today is entertainment. It's not worship. It doesn't magnify the Lord. It magnifies the singers. Amen. If we want to move a God in our churches, then music has a lot to do with it. The praise and the worship has a lot to do with it. I thank God for Cassie and the team here. They're just... They're easy to flow with, praise God. They're easy to flow with. Amen. I'm not a praise and worship leader, but I know when some other people aren't either. I I have that gift. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And you probably have that same gift, amen. (laughs) So once again here, we see that the anointing of God can come on a minister a person as a result of the proper atmosphere being set by the music, the worship. This shows that the anointing is perceivable. It shows that the anointing can flow even in the praise and worship to set up the delivery of the word. Hallelujah. During the ministry of Jesus, the Bible says, That while he was ministering to a little woman with an issue of blood. And you know the story in Mark chapter 5. It says she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had left him. Notice he noticed in himself that virtue had left him. So the anointing is perceivable. He knew that it left him. And you have to remember, he was on his way to Jairus' house. He's got his back turned to her. He's in a crowd. In fact, when he stopped and said, who touched me? The disciples were amazed. They said, everybody's touching you. And I read one translation that said, no, this is not just a touch. It's the touch of faith. Amen. He perceived that power had left him. When she touched his clothes. And it stopped him in his tracks. And he turned and said, who touched me? And the Bible says the little woman fearing and trembling. Because she wasn't allowed in that crowd. 
this issue of blood under Levitical law, they had a right to stone her for coming into that crowd with that disease. And the man who could issue the, the command to have her stone was Jairus. She interrupted his miracle. <laughs> and she was afraid. But then she said, I said that if I but touch your clothes, I shall be made whole. I was in Nigeria one time back in about 1986, I believe it was. I was preaching in a, in a place called Owiri, Nigeria, in an open field. We had over 50,000 people in that meeting. And the people would get there uh, in that blazing hot sun. They'd get there around four o'clock and stand shoulder to shoulder, you know, pressed up against one another. And I wouldn't even get there until nearly eight o'clock. And they were standing there waiting. And a lot of people would be on the road. And when the car came that, that had me in it, these guys had put flags up on the front fenders, you know, just like an uh, ambassador was coming. And he was. An ambassador was coming. <laughs> and they knew that the man of God was in that car. And they would take off running along the car and shouting, the man of God is here. The man of God is here. And when they'd get me up to where the crowd was, they'd open the door. People were reaching as far as they could just to try to touch you. Just touch you. I never had had that happen before. With that, in that magnitude of so many people just trying to touch you. And when they, they kind of had an opening there for me to walk through the crowd to get up to the platform. And people just reaching out and touching you. They had such respect for the anointing. They had such respect for the office of ministry. I think that has a lot to do with it as well. A lot of people in church today, let's see what you can do. No respect for the anointing. And, and people touching you all the way up to the platform. When they turned it over to me, by the time I got up to the platform, they, they were ready for me. And I started preaching just a simple message about Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I no more than preached five minutes. And the healing power of God began to flow. And it was like a wave on the ocean. And 21 blind people were healed instantly, praise God. And we brought them all up to testify. And then people started getting out of wheelchairs. And people started throwing their crutches in the air. And all kinds of miracles began to take place. And as I was leaving, people are touching me and grabbing my coat. Just like in this story here. And they were being healed, praise God. I went back to my room. I just wept like a baby. I'd never experienced uh, anything quite like that before. So notice here, Jesus perceived that the anointing left him and went into that woman. And how did she make that connection? She touched his clothes. She touched his clothes. I, I was in a meeting in, uh, where's, where's uh, Stan? In your church, your dad's church, way back there a long time ago. You remember the night? And the anointing God was so strong and I took my coat off and I just slung it out in the audience. And people started getting healed. People started falling out on the power of God. And your daddy took that coat and he never gave it back to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you know, that doesn't happen. That's just one of the ways. 
but it's by the direction of the Holy Spirit. We could all take our coats off right now and start slinging them and maybe nothing happened. But it was by the direction of the Holy Spirit. You have to know the anointing abides in you and you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. (laughs) You have to know what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, praise God. And be willing to do it, regardless of what anybody thinks. Can you say amen? amen? So the anointing can be in a person's clothes. And he said to her, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. So he, he perceived that the anointing left him when she made a demand upon it. Now, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10 and verse 10, you don't have to turn there. You make, make note of the reference. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms my hands. Let me say that again. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Daniel sensed the anointing in the way of a hand had touched him. And the anointing made him tremble. It happens that way sometimes. I was, I was uh, down at my lake house in Granbury back several years ago. And the Lord said, I want you to do a week's meeting in the Bible school. We had the Bible school here. He said, and you, you do a week's meeting, night services every night. I went down to my lake house in Granbury to pray. I'm telling you, every morning when I'd get up, it's like God was waiting at, for me in the kitchen, at the kitchen table. I'd sit down there and I'd start trembling. I'd call Carolyn. I said, I'm, 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 I'm I can't stop trembling. And the anointing of God was so strong, I could hardly wait until those evening services. And they were powerful. And one night, one, one morning, I was sitting there, and the Lord said, you call home and tell Carolyn and the others to tell the people that are coming, get in contact with all the people that are coming, as many of them as you can. Because it was open to the general public too, not just the Bible school students. Bring their children tonight. God's going to do something with the children. And so, boy, they came and Brother Copeland and Gloria was there and their children and, and their grandchildren, the, the ones they had at the time. And it was Aubrey, wasn't it? Aubrey, George and Terry Pearson's daughter. She was just a young girl, just a little girl. And uh, man, I'm telling you, the anointing of God. And he said, now, lay hands on all the children. I laid hands on the children. And he said, now send them through the audience. And I sent them through the audience. They were laying hands on people, people getting healed. Little Aubrey, she had the anointing on her so strong. She cried. She trembled. She shook. She finally went out into the hall and went into the women's restroom and just sat on the floor and just cried and trembled under the anointing of God. And this woman came in there. They told me later. This woman came in here and said, are you that little girl that anointing was on? Are you that little girl? Lay hands on me. And Aubrey reached up and laid hands on and that woman got healed. Praise God. It was marvelous. It was marvelous. But it was by the direction of the Holy Spirit. How many times do you suppose we've missed encounters with God because we were dead set on having a service? I 
I don't want services. I want encounters with God. How about you? I want encounters with God. Can you say amen? We need to make room for the Holy Ghost. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, In the heat of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Notice Ezekiel says, he described it like heat in his spirit. And the hand of the Lord was upon me. When, when I first started out, I, I didn't do, I never preached without praying for the sick afterwards. I, I, I thought that's what you're supposed to do. I saw in the word where he said, uh, preach and heal, preach, teach and heal. And so every service I went into, I went into prepared to lay hands on people. And my daughters and Carolyn, you know, they traveled with me when they were young and, and uh, we'd drive in the car everywhere we went and, and we'd get to, a, back in those days, we couldn't afford two hotel rooms. We'd all stay together and, and uh, the, but Carolyn would let the girls know that daddy's praying and daddy's preparing for the service, be real quiet, you know, and she might take them outside or something. And, and I'd, I'd walk that hotel room. Sometimes it wasn't, you know, a little room and I'm just banging to the door over here and banging to the door over there or the wall rather. And I'd just pray in the spirit. And I'd have my hands out like this. And after, a lot of times, I'd look and both girls are following me. Like little ducks behind their, you know. And, and they're just following me, praying in the Spirit. And after I would pray for the sick, they'd always come up to me and say, Daddy, let us touch your hands. they said say, they're hot. They'd always want their hands in my hands because they were hot. Sometimes the anointing comes like heat. Amen. But did you notice I prayed in the spirit? Preparation for that anointing to come. Amen. There's a preparation. You don't just walk into the service, no preparation, running around town all day and expect to put up your hand and say, thus saith the Lord and the anointing flows. There's preparation. Can you say amen? Amen. So here Ezekiel felt it as heat in his spirit. And the hand of the Lord was upon him. Luke chapter 5 verse 14. And it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by. Who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Notice that anointing came, number one, as a result of him preaching the word. And number two, because there was a vessel in whom the anointing abided. As he was preaching. So he was the vessel. You and I are the vessels. And you notice that it didn't say after he preached for three hours. Sometimes you just have to shorten your sermon. (laughs) Give room to the Holy Ghost. You know when the anointing's there and you know when it's not. Amen. Sometimes the Lord just interrupted me. Just stop. And start ministering to people. I say, folks, we're done. Let's minister to people. Sometimes I have prepared all day with this red hot sermon 
and get to the meeting and he says, put your notes away. That's for another time. Just flow in the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We've been having meetings over in South Africa at the Heritage of Faith Church there that John pastors. And one of the things that thrilled me was I found out they let me know that the entire congregation had been fasting and praying before we ever got there. And man, we had a move of God, didn't we? The people didn't want it to end. I had to go to Italy or somewhere after that, and they didn't want it to end. And I was walking out, and the Lord said, tell John when you come next year, you'll stay longer. And they went back and told the people, and they went to shouting. You could hear them shouting out in front of the church, praise God. Amen. People want to move a God. People want to see the supernatural. They hunger for it. And it's not just good sermons that are going to turn this world around. It's the flow of the Holy Ghost and the anointing of God coming on the scene. Amen. People don't care how eloquent we are. We need to preach the word. We need to teach the word. But what really gets their attention, Brother Hagin used to say, healing is the dinner bell. (laughs) What really gets their attention is a move of God. People that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and can flow in the direction that he wants to go. Can you say amen? amen? And I'm sorry, but there's just a lot of church services that it was good, but it wasn't God's best. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, let me say this to you. The anointing can be stored up. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, it says, Elijah died and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elijah. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elijah, he revived and stood on his feet. (laughs) I love that story. They threw this dead man in the tomb of Elijah. And when his body touched the bones of Elijah, he was raised from the dead. He was revived and stood up and walked out of there. Praise God. Can you say amen? Amen. So apparently the anointing of God can be stored. Tony, bring me that bag for a moment. You can go ahead and open it up there. Now, by Lindsay and Richard's permission, I still have old Robert's shoes. And I take these on meetings with me. And I wear them while I'm preparing and praying in the hotel. I've sent them pictures back home where I'm walking around. These shoes are way too big for me. And I stuff them. So that I can keep them on my feet when I'm walking around and praying. Oh, Roberts wore these shoes. Touch them, Justin. (laughs) Hallelujah. Touch him. Why wouldn't the anointing still be in these shoes? 
It was in a dead man's bones. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Touch him. Now, I'm not trying to make a religion out of this. Not trying to make some, you know, something that's not biblical out of this. Praise God. I thought everybody would want to touch him. I would let you put them on, but I don't. <laughs> I might not get them back. And, and uh, you miss, miss some? Maybe I'll let you touch them after I get through, okay? Not, not take any more time up. But these shoes was what I was wearing when I got home after that stroke. And I attribute part of the reason why my recovery was so quick was the anointing that was still in these shoes. In fact, when I went back to the doctor, his exact words were, your recovery has been magical. Can you explain this? I said, yes, sir, I can. All he knew to say was magical. It was supernatural. Amen. And uh, by the permission of Richard and Lindsay, uh, I still carry these shoes. And I put them on while I'm praying and I'm preparing to go into a service. And I, I expect that spiritual law, that the anointing can be stored. And uh, I expect to operate it in a stronger level, praise God, every time I go into a meeting. And I might add, the anointing of God is getting stronger and stronger. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? The Bible says that from Paul's body, handkerchiefs, aprons were taken from him. And wherever they were placed, it brought healing and deliverance. I, I, uh, I take cloths with me quite often. Richard and Lindsay and Carolyn and I prayed over these this morning. And we just have these little cloths that I, I pass out to people a lot of times. We've done it in your church. We've done it in several churches. And we get testimonies of people who wore them or they carried them around with them or they put them on some uh, sick person in their family and the anointing of God that is stored in them brings healing and deliverance. I'd like for anybody that would like any of these to, uh, I'll let you get it after the service. I'm just going to lay them right here. And um, we've prayed over them. And we believe whomever they touch, healing and deliverance will come. Praise God. Amen. We have the same anointing on our lives that Paul had on his. Can you say amen? Amen. And then here's another great example of uh, in the book of uh, Acts, that uh, Acts chapter 5, I believe, where the shadow of Peter, when the shadow of Peter, when people got under that shadow, that miracles were wrought. And the shadow itself had no virtue, but the fact that the man who was casting the shadow was anointed. Hallelujah. When's the last time somebody got healed under your shadow? 
Maybe that's a, a level we need to start preaching about more. Start expecting more, praise God. I had a, a woman chase me down. She didn't know it was me. Chase me down in a mall in California. We were, we were between meetings and Carolyn and the girls wanted to go to the mall. And I, I said, well, I think I'll just stay in the room. And then I decided I'd go with them. And I said, but you, you girls go shop and do whatever you want to do. And I'm just going to walk around. I'm just walking down this mall. And I'd, I'd look in the window over here. And then I'd see something over this door. And I'd walk over and look in the window there. And in a little while, someone come, I heard somebody running down the mall. And they, I, I never turned around, but I heard them running. And all of a sudden, this, this woman put her hand on my shoulder. I turned around and she said, I knew it was you. She said, I have been deathly ill and God told me to come to this mall and follow the light. And when I get to the light, I'll be healed. She said, I stood in the mall and I watched the light go here and I watched the light go there and I watched the light go here and I took off running to follow the light. Amen. Amen. And God healed her. Praise God. Amen. Amen. You remember the time we were in that 7-Eleven and uh, after a service over at Brother Nichols Church? And Carolyn said, we need some milk. And uh, the anointing was so strong on me. Carolyn was driving. I was just kind of sitting over in the seat, uh, relaxing. We got to a 7-Eleven. You know how 7-Eleven is all front glass, you know, windows. And I said, I'll go in and get the milk. She said, no, just sit here. I'll get it. I said, no, I can get it. And I went in and went to the, the refrigerator section to get the milk. I noticed this guy standing at the counter. And I noticed the guy that worked there behind the counter. And the guy that was standing at the counter had a, a, a pornographic magazine in his hand. And I walked by and I got my milk. And I walked up and laid the milk uh, on, the, on the counter. And I reached around to get my billfold. And when I turned, I'm looking at this man with the pornographic magazine, eyeball to eyeball. He looked at me and said, and he dropped the magazine and fell to his knees and said, my God, pray for me. Who are you? And I looked back at Carolyn and I thought, what is she thinking in here? The guy just falls right in front of me. And I realized he recognized he didn't know it was the anointing, but it was still on me. I laid my hands on him and prayed for him, led him to Christ. And I I reached back to get my money out. And the man behind the counter said, me too, me too, me too. (laughs) His tears are coming down his eyes. Praise God. We just another day in the life and times of Jerry Savelle. Hallelujah. (laughs) I thought, what an awesome experience. Praise God. How many times do you suppose God wanted to do things like that? And we were insensitive. What is the anointing for? It's to get the captive free. Can you say amen? amen? Praise God. Now, I can't say that every time I go to a 7-Eleven, that happens. Praise God. Carolyn's coming in just a moment. I'm going to close with these statements. I'll, I'll give you a little short break. I want to I make sure that you understand there is a price for the anointing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, 
the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You simply cannot operate in the anointing of God when your mind is on the flesh all the time. Amen. You can't expect to be led by the Spirit of God and you can't expect to flow in His anointing if you don't become spiritually minded. Intimate relationship with Him is how you become spiritually minded. Meditating on the Word. God told Joshua, day and night. Also, Acts chapter 8, verse 21, having your heart right is a vital part of flowing in the anointing. There's an example of a man named Simeon who had been a sorcerer. And after he was converted, he was still yet carnally minded because he told Peter that he wanted what he had. He saw Peter operating in the anointing. He tried to buy it. And he said, your heart is not right in the sight of God. So not having your heart right can hinder the flow of the anointing. God needs a clear channel to work through. This is why the book of Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, 1, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset you. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 22 and 23, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The message translation says, everything connected to that old way of life has to go. I do mean everything. Get rid of it and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life. Amen. Sin can block the anointing of God in your life. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 19 encourages us or challenges us, don't quench the Spirit. This tells us that we can actually quench the Holy Spirit, or in other words, prevent Him and the anointing from operating in us. Quench literally means to extinguish or to put out, just as you would a, a fire. You can extinguish a fire. You can, you can stop the flow of the Holy Spirit by being insensitive. There's times when you're preaching and you may sense the leading to stop and it might be a word of knowledge or it might be to lay hands on somebody. Don't be insistent on getting your sermon done. Just stop. Don't quench the spirit. Don't put the fire out. Amen. 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 Don't put the fire out. And then Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 says that we are to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit. Fervent means to boil with heat. It means to be white hot. This requires constant fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If we're cold or even lukewarm, then it's not likely that we'll experience the anointing in a very powerful way. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17, 21, when his disciples tried to cast out a devil out of a person, it says, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So prayer, obviously, has an effect on how strong the anointing flows. And from time to time, 
Fasting is required. You don't have to fast every, every day. You don't have to fast every meeting that you go on. But from time to time, once you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit, fasting is important. That's the reason why after 3 o'clock I don't eat anything before a service. I don't eat anything. I don't go out with people to eat. I don't, I don't eat in my room. I, 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 and sometimes I don't eat at all that day. Uh, and it depends on the, the meeting and so forth and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I've fasted. Uh, in fact, in that meeting in Toronto, I fasted uh, during that 21 nights. I fasted nearly every day of that meeting by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that had a vital part in why the anointing was so strong in those meetings. So from time to time, fasting is involved. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke. So ministering to the Lord, worship the Lord. One of the things I like to do is when I, when I get in a hotel room, I take my uh, DVD player or my, my iPhone or iPad or whatever, and I, I have an external speaker, and I just create an atmosphere of praise and worship. I just, I just let the music play while I'm praying and, and music that's, that's worship and creating an atmosphere for the anointing of God. And then finally, humility. Humility. Don't get high-minded. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we must stay humble before God if we truly want to flow in a stronger anointing. Ministers who have the idea that God is lucky to have them. They don't last very long. They may, they may make a big splash, but eventually they'll fizzle out. God will show you he's got people in the wings that are waiting. <laughs> Amen. So stay humble. No matter how many miracles you see, no matter how many uh, deliverances you see, always remember, without him, I'm nothing. Amen. Without him, I am nothing. Hallelujah. What are you saying? Let's, let's, let's get ready to flow in a stronger anointing. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I stretch my hand out over all of these people. These wonderful men and women of God. Thank you, Father, for allowing them to, allowing me, rather, to be involved in their ministries and their lives. I count it a great honor and a great privilege and I give them my word once again that I will keep this ministry pure. I will keep my life pure. They'll not be disappointed. They'll not be ashamed to be connected with this ministry. We thank you, Father, for taking us to a higher level in your anointing. We all desire it. We're willing to do whatever is necessary. We're willing to pay the price for we long for our ministries to be a place where people can be set free. People can be healed. People can be delivered and people can begin to enjoy the good life that you planned and provided for them. 
I pray that every person has taken the word that I've shared today to heart. Not just hear it, but taken it to heart. And I thank you in advance for the great testimonies that are on the horizon. From all of these people in their ministries, their churches. And that they will testify in the days to come. That we are witnessing and experiencing more healings, more deliverances, more miracles, more signs and wonders than we've ever experienced before. And I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You receive that? Say, I receive it. Praise God.